Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to another hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host for the hour and founding member of the Roadworthy Drive crew. So glad you chose to join us. Roadworthy Drive Nation has grown quite a bit in population this year. So if this is your first time within the sound of my voice, let me show you around. If you would like to add your voice to the conversation, you can text or call me on the Roadworthy Drive line. That number is 872-222-9793. It's good seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Ask a question, share a comment, suggest a topic for discussion. It's all good. If you're of the email sort, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. And speaking of the show, we've got plenty to tap on tap to discuss for the hour. From the most dangerous time to drive to increasing importance of customer-centric interior design, and you'll never guess why. And finally, we will end the hour with a discussion of why renewable energy is becoming such a thing. You mean because, you know, nearly $3 a gallon for one take a ga- for one gallon Which gas. is cheap, but we'll get with you cheap. later. Yeah, cheap. it really is. Nope. As usual, folks, the Roadworthy Drive crew is operating with a full tank at wide open throttle. At 60 bucks a tank. At the controls behind the wheel is my good friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon. Holding things down in the right-hand seat is social diva, professional snarkster, and <laughs> subject navigator, Sasha Little. Howdy, my peoples. Hi. How you doing, Jack? I'm okay, but I got a problem with the, the talent. Right. Excuse me, sir. I was the founding member of this show because I said to you two years ago, second show that you ever did on the radio, I said, dude, you need to take this national. Yeah. but Let's get the facts straight here. Whatever you need to believe. I'm I'm just going (laughs) to sit back here and let you boys argue it out. Whatever he needs to believe at this point. So moving on while they are doing that, what's the... Oh, you too now, huh? (laughs) Yeah. What's in the parts bin this week, Everybody Mr. wants to move on. I see. Now yep. we want to move on. Well, I mean, you don't want me to, you know, berage about the gas prices. You don't want me to berage about, you know, how much it takes to fill up my van. At two sixty five a gallon. It's ridiculous. No. Yeah, it is. No. Thank you. Ridiculously cheap, folks. Get over it. No, no it's not, not. No, not really. But anyway. Can, can, let's point, point, let, uh, let's point move on. Point of information. If you go back to 09... We were approaching $4 a gallon. Yes, we were. That was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. Enough said. Okay, Mr. Chester, what is in the parts bin this week? Um, We're going to go on the water. Huh? We're going to go on the water. Yes. I hope we have a boat. uh, You do. (laughs) It's called a Q-yacht, and they want to be the Tesla of the seas. Oh, that's kind of a quirky little... They delivered their first all-electric day cruiser yacht. (gasps) They call it the Q-30. Mm-hmm. Electric propulsion is slowly making its way into bigger boats. And much like the auto industry, it's starting with more premium products. Yeah, but we talked about the barges that were going. Yeah, but this is a day boat for consumers. 
Now, when you you say day boat, what does that mean? It means a boat, unlike a cabin cruiser where you can spend the night, Mm -hmm. is more than a bass boat, but less than a cruiser. I was about to say, so how many people... Like, are these one of the ones where you, like, go in there and there's, like, a living room, like, no, enclosed? No, Okay, so this no. is an open... Hence, yes. Okay. Hence, day cruiser. Now, do they tell you how fast it goes? Uh, hold on. Because I'm curious. Hold on. The company is enabled by a company... The company's name is Ocean Volt. Oh. Uh, they're actually a manufacturer of electric propulsion systems for sailboats. Okay. And uh, they've been developing this for a few years, and they've actually sold it. I believe it's somebody in Finland. I'll see. Um, Q-Yacht's goal is to reach a market position such as Tesla has in the electric car market. The Q30 is equipped with an electric motor and a 20-kilowatt continuous power output. It has a cruising speed of 9 knots and a maximum speed of 15 knots. The boat is 9.3 meters long. And you can get two ba- one of two battery pack sizes, either 30 kilowatt hours or 60 kilowatt hours. Uh, with a smaller pack, you can get um, about 42 nautical miles uh, and 22 or 22 nautical miles at max speed. Obviously, with the larger pack, you can double that. They said it's ultra quiet, uh, hydrodynamically optimized hull is what they're calling it. Minimal noise, minimal wake resulting in a very relaxing experience. And like everything else, you can handle this thing with a custom app. I don't know why what? everybody's surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Uh, you get a custom app installed with the iPad supplied with the boat. The boat can be transported on a trailer, or if you wish, the boat fits in a 40-foot container. And I was right. It did go to Finland, the first one. And no, they didn't talk about pricing. But it will hold eight people, Sasha. You eight were wondering. people. Eight yes, people. I was. Mm-hmm. Eight and, people. And speed? Uh, maximum speed, 15 knots. That's not bad. Yeah, 15 knots. Uh, the Tesla of the seas, though. Tesla. So are they going to have a, uh, you know, are, are they going to have a ludicrous speed? Uh, I, have not, I have not heard. <laughs> But we'll see. I was okay. about to say, if you, you're only going to get 15 knots out of this thing, you ain't going to hit ludicrous speed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go off into the weeds for a minute. Here we go. Because we should. All um, right. This, this has to do with our veterans. Okay. I think it's a great idea. Uh, Google is doing something positive. Uh, they're adding new features to help U.S. veterans find jobs or highlight their businesses. Uh, they're starting an initiative called Grow with Google the company's career development program that helps veterans discover job openings relevant to the skills they've learned while serving by entering the phrase jobs for veterans in the Google search engine along with their military job codes. thought that was pretty good. Uh, employers and job boards can also enable the feature by using Google's own cloud talent solution, machine learning-based job search platform. But that's not all. If they're if it's a veteran who owns a business, uh, they're going to help them there, too. It's called Google My Business, which, um, let's see, let me read this. They've added a new attribute to that. In a blog post, uh, they said that 2.5 million businesses in the U.S. are majority owned by veterans. Mm-hmm. You may not have known that. The veteran-led attribute badge will appear on Google business listings alongside other attributes like has Wi-Fi or family-friendly. I like that. Now, in addition, 
Google said their Google.org, their charity initiative, will grant $2.5 million to the USO to provide uh, IT training, career support, and Google support professional certification, a course designed to prepare people for entry-level IT jobs. I just wanted to throw that out there because uh, we talk a lot about Made in American, Made in America. Our veterans, uh, the men and women of our armed forces, uh, sacrifice many things along with their families to make sure that Made in America can still exist. Yep. So for that, thank you for your service. Amen. And we move on. But I wanted to put that out there. Um, Sasha, mm. we talked earlier this week about the Tesla Semi. We did. We did. And I guess my infatuation with this is actually doing a mo- road trip. Um, they are trying to um, boister curiosity or even orders. They're trying to boost orders and introduce the vehicle. Yeah. Now, the thing is, it was here in our city this week. And what? I, yeah. we did, and we did not know it. Elon did not call me. I know. Or even right? send a text message. It's my I know, that's just wrong. I, it is wrong. You need I to talk to your boy. Man. You need to talk to your boy. Almost every week. I know, you need to talk to your boy. He's overworked. He forgot uh, all about me. Basically, this is one <laughs> of the two prototype semis and they've been taking it to trucking firms around the United States. Literally without typically when you're doing this with a prototype, you usually have like a support team that follows you. Mm-hmm. Think kind of uh like our bike race across Iowa where you have bike support teams. Right. Um, no support team. Man, his truck, and his extension cord. Really? That's it. Truck hasn't broke down that we know of. And it was here in town. Uh, there are pictures to prove it. We know where it was. Um, and it's been going around the country. It's been down in Arkansas. It's been, things been racking up some serious miles, getting recharged. Um, but this thing that we want to put out If any listener has seen this truck, and trust me, if you've seen it, you'd know you've seen it. Because we know it's bouncing around the Midwest. It's bouncing around the country. Somebody's got to get a picture of the Tesla Semi. If you do, you're going to want to send it to the show. And and Sasha would be glad to post it on social media where you see. And be sure to tell us where you saw it. Sasha, how can they do that if they wanted to send them something? Uh, they can send it to the Facebook page. Well, there you go. Which is? Roadworthy Drive. Yep. Real facts, real opinions, and real talk. You are tuned to Roadworthy Drive. to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. Wherever you find race drivers, you'll find the racer's edge. Because they know nothing protects vital engine parts better than STP oil treatment. And millions of motorists just like you use STP. Because STP keeps their family cars running smoother, cooler, quieter, longer. STP is the Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm your host, Ken Chester. 
As we progress into the colder months, daylight starts to get less and less, and we end up spending more time behind the wheel in the dark or twilight. Depending on where you live, it also happens to be the same time of harvest and the increase of farm equipment grain trucks. Oh, yeah. Superimposed on top of that, the increased number of teenage drivers on the road on their way to or from school, work, or friend's house. You get my drift yet? We're going to talk about the most dangerous time to drive, which, by the way, is after daylight savings time ends. And this year that's scheduled, I believe, for Sunday, November 4th. Yeah, it's always like that first Sunday right after Halloween because they like to you know, give us trick-or-treating time. Ain't, mm-hmm. that, ain't that special. And delay the season of agony and strife. Let me help you with an opening fact. The risk of a fatal crash is three times greater at night, and that's according to the National Safety Council. Shorter days, fatigue, compromised night vision, rush hour, and impaired drivers all contribute to making driving at night more dangerous than any other time of day. But see, you forgot something that us country folk understand about fall, too. Which is? That is rut. Ooh, that's rut. And in case you don't know what rut is, uh, the deer get frisky. Yeah, the deer be a populating. And they be jumping out in the middle of the road. Out in yep. the middle of no, and especially if you have a new vehicle, because they just want yes, to realign that hood they do. space. Uh, and typically that runs from November, from October 1st yep. to the end of December. Yep. Yep. As, as they say in Hill Street Blues, let's be careful out there. Yep. Well, yeah. it's a little hard to be careful out there when they jump out right in front of you. Like right there in Trust front of you. Trust me, I know this. Yeah. 2015 Lincoln MKC. <laughs> It was 6.50 p.m. Mm-hmm. in early October. Mm-hmm. Full full buck comes up out the oh, wash at nice. an angle. Yeah. Uh, clobbers the driver's side door, takes out my rearview mirror, rolls onto the hood, up over the vehicle, kicks, kicks out the sensors when of he course. lands on the other side. Of course. I'm totally freaked out. My wife has pop all over the inside of the vehicle. And she's <laughs> freaked out. <laughs> I pull over. Get out. Uh-huh. Look up the hill. Stupid Buck gets up, looks at me, bounces once. He's gone. Right? I right. can't find him. And he looks at you like, man, I was walking there. Actually, he was on full rut run. Up the, yeah. <laughs> wow. It was not cute. Yeah. Um, even with your high beams on, they say that visibility is limited to 500 feet. Now, to give you an idea, uh, you're looking at 88 feet a second. Yeah. You're roughly... Four seconds. Yep. Yeah. You can only see about four seconds in front of you at 60 miles an hour. Well, didn't they have like that one headlight? Because I remember the commercials where it doubled your length, but then they had to outlaw them because it was blinding oncoming traffic. Well, between the uh, the high intensity discharge lights, the xenon headlights, yeah, uh, and now the LED headlights, those yeah. were, they I are particularly those. bright. Those were the blue ones, right? Um. Those were the between the halogens, yeah, and the, the L- and and LED, the, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, because the only the only I know is when those those blue headlights first came out. Yep, I kid you not, they turned my stomach. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it was because they gave off a certain wave frequency that if you have a sensitive um, ocular, yep, it can it has a direct line. Mm-hmm. And see those LED ones, I could have sworn that they issued like a. Like now they can only use like the the grade below that. Like when they no, first they're came u- on? they're using they're LEDs, using LEDs yeah. all day long. Now. Yeah, Ugh. the pro- the difference is, and what's confusing, and it happened to my wife and her new vehicle. Uh huh. A lot of automakers use them as the, what they call accent lights or daytime running oh, lights. Okay. So that at night 
if you don't have your lights uh, set to automatic on, you're actually driving with your accent lights when you think you have your regular full lights. <laughs> I actually had to pull her over. We were coming home one night because she didn't realize she had had her car in for service and they were doing all their checks and inadvertently turned her lights off. Oh, nice. I don't think that's inadvertent anymore. That happens to me every time I get the truck. Well, service. it's because of what they check, but yeah, they didn't. Re- they're checking all sorts of stuff, but she didn't realize they had done that, and I realized it because when you when it's not set to that, you don't have tail lights, and you've just got your true. accent lights, so you are a rolling potential accident. Mm-hmm. Here's something: as we age, we have greater difficulty seeing at night. A 50-year-old driver may need twice as much light to see as well as a 30-year-old. And, uh, and I didn't write this, by the way. At age 60 and older, driving can become even more difficult. Some older drivers may have compromised vision due to cataracts and degenerative eye diseases. So you got that. So basically they're saying don't be distracted. Uh, and they're also encouraging you to take a refresher course, which I haven't done, but is not necessarily a bad thing with all the things going on. Here's something else to think about. Uh, According to a National Sleep Foundation poll, 60% of adults have driven while they were tired. And another 37%, and bear this out, this is 103 million people have fallen asleep behind the wheel. I mean, can I just say, duh to that? Everyone is tired. Yeah, but here's the part that scares me. 103 million people have fallen asleep behind the wheel? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that is scary. But autonomous vehicles are scary to them. You know, meanwhile, we have 103 million people driving their vehicle. That have fallen asleep at least once. And I I can tell you why this is happening. Sidebar here. (laughs) Um, Most Americans do not take their vacations. We can't afford to. What's a vacation? Well, but here's the thing. I've I've heard the if term. You, if you take a vacation, if you would take your vacation, you will live longer, uh-huh. you will be happier. But right now, everybody runs into the same problem that, that the three of us have. <laughs> We're what's broke. A, what, yeah. What's a vacation? <laughs> We're broke, and um, we got to get going. Yeah. Let me throw this at you. 4% of those folks said they've actually caused a crash by falling asleep. While driving. 4% admitted to actually. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, going back 50 years, my dad was going back to school under the GI Bill. He was working full-time day. He was going to school full-time during the day, working at night full-time. Mm-hmm. The man wrecked his car three times mm-hmm. because he fell asleep. Well, wow. living where, where I am, I mean, if you're a uh, living out and your mailbox is right there off of the shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, you know. I mean, how many of those were done by children? But how many of those were somebody fell asleep and that's Flip what it. woke them up? Yeah. I leave you with this statistic. While we only do one quarter of our driving at night, 50% of traffic deaths happen at night. Mm-hmm. 50%. Wow. 50% that is the number I percent of the people who die behind the wheel, it was a nighttime accident. Wow. So that's food for thought. If you've been out of the automotive market for 10 years or more, you may be easily overwhelmed with what's for sale, both in the showroom or on the lot. <laughs> Don't worry. Automotive designers got you covered, and that's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive.
RevTheDrive.com is the place to keep up with the latest happenings with Ken and the show. I swear I'm going to have to get you to your own studios. I can't help the fact that he brings up facts. I ask questions on those facts and push back. Well, you've you've always done that. Always, always. And yet he is surprised each and every time. Uh, No, I am not surprised, (laughs) just in case you're wondering. And by the way, this is Roadworthy Drive. I'm Jack. He's Ken. She is Sasha. The incorrigible. Yes. No, you're incorrigible. What? Incorrigible. Sure. Anyway. Before we continue, I have just one question for you, the listener out there. Have you checked out our show website? No. Oh, my. <laughs> no need to hate. Right? It's I'm road- not hating. It's roadworthydrive.com, and it's ground zero for everything you could ever want to know about the show and the incorrigible Roadworthy Drive crew. Audio clips, video clips of our behind-the-scenes antics in studio, which we haven't done lately, but we're working on getting back in Believe me, folks, I am fighting for you. I brought it up to the men folk a, more than a few times, and I repeatedly get told the same thing. So uh, it's, it's a scheduling, out of this. It's a scheduling issue. When we get it resolved, we'll let you know. Anyway, if you want to find out where to tune in to Roadworthy Drive, even when you're on the road, you can learn that, too. We've been also very active. In a universe known as social media during the week between shows. Yes. Our incorrigible Lady Sasha <laughs> is our resident social media diva who keeps things light and lively with her inspirational posts and entertaining topics uh, throughout the week. Mm. Find out how she keeps the social in our social media. And you'll be glad that you did. Okay, Ken, I have a question. Yes. What do you mean by customer-centric vehicle design? I am so glad you asked. If only we had a topic like that. Yeah. Well, no, my question is, I'm trying to figure out what he means by that. Okay. Let, let, let me back up, because at first blush you go, duh, aren't they all? No. You would, you would think that they were. Yeah, you would. Um, here's what they're talking about in specific. They're looking at people, the average American. They're looking at the statistics that right now the average age of a vehicle is over 11 years. Right. They're anticipating it's going to grow to 12 years. Okay. Um, And what they're suspecting is that if you've been out of the market for a reasonable amount of time, say 10 to 12 years, and maybe you've wandered into a showroom to see what was going on, that you're being overwhelmed and maybe even intimidated by – I mean it's a leap and a bound. And I mean if you're driving a vehicle – made in the middle part of the last decade, and then you walk into a showroom now, it's night and day. Exactly. And instead of in um, what they're thinking is, is that instead of actually putting your money and buying a brand new car, you'll buy something uh, you're a little bit more comfortable, which is going to be an older car. Or not even buying it. You're yeah. actually continuing to drive what you got. Yeah. You, instead of spending that money, you'll just go get a loan, fix up the car that you've got, and then they lose out on a sale. Yeah. The big issue right now is that they realize that with the onslaught of all this technology, that they need to design a cabin that interacts with somebody who's been out of the market for a while. And make it more... Uh, and in, in, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and make it more inviting 
to those of us that might be driving, say, a 2002? A couple of years back, you might remember, we had a car dealer on, and he one of the things he talked about was the fact that his older customers were very intimidated by all the technology. Mm-hmm. And this was three years ago. And it's leaped inbound from then. Yes, in it terms has. of what's in a vehicle now. And I can tell you, in 2014, I helped my stepmother buy a um, new car. And at that time, four years ago, she was completely overwhelmed by the technology. Mm-hmm. The lucky part was that when they basically went to deliver the car, we probably spent an hour, hour and 15 minutes with that person. Well, And the last thing that that person said to us was, look, if you don't understand something in this car, you come back here, find one of us. We're going to walk out with you and we're going to help you figure it out. Here's the thing. As far as I'm concerned, good engineering and design enriches my experience. doesn't get in the way. Um, unlike, here's an example. Uh, with the traditional product development process in place, talking about how automakers figure this stuff out and design it. Mm-hmm. This complexity means that interiors can be overwhelming to control and time-consuming to become familiar with. Prior to the, all this digital stuff, a driver likely had two knobs and a couple of buttons to control their in-car stereo, but now these controls could be buried under various submenus that take time to learn. My words here, are you listening, BMW? <laughs> right? Oh my wow. God. Are you listening? Oh, no. Do, oh, you, no. do you have an issue, Mr. Chester, with I, BMW? I do when it comes. Awesome car, okay? But as far as ergonomically friendly. Trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, you got to go through so many menus. Yeah. I mean, I get vehicles almost every week to review. Right. I've been doing it for 25 years. And even now. Even with all these other vehicles, usually if I get one of those, I've got to go to the owner's meeting. Oh, yeah, to adjust the radio. That's and I not wi- good. And I wish I was exaggerating. I wish mm-hmm. I was being snarky right now. Yep. I mean, really. Typically, if the car's not doing something nowadays, it's probably because the car's smarter than me and i got to go look it up. I haven't said it right. Okay, I mean, so what so what you're saying is, in the time it would take you to do any other car, I'm just going to throw out a number here. It may take you two hours to learn everything, plus a whole lot of practice. You're telling you're telling me you basically have to memorize the owner's manual before you can do anything. Not memorize it, but consult it. Okay. Well, uh, and there's some brands that are more consumer centric than other brands when mm-hmm. it comes into just sitting down. Oh yeah. I mean, just in my limited time, there was one that I berated. You know, with Ken about that I, me, tech savvy, was completely confused. And another one sat right in, was able to go, and had better tech. Mm -hmm. Um, It boils down to this. The interior needed to be iconic and simple, yet, their words, future-proof and highly connected. Yep. I need to be able to relate to the vehicle, that I can use it with a minimum of fuss. I mean... 25 years ago, when I got a car to review, I would sit in the car, adjust my mirrors, adjust my radio. took me 10 minutes, and I'm out. I'm on the road. Yep. Now, (laughs) I sit in a car. I spend time shutting stuff off that I can that aggravate the stuffing out of me, try to figure out how to do the radio, minimize the navigation stuff that wants to basically map me a road to Chicago for some reason, um, and get it to where I can just use the thing. 
and it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily uniform between the most inexpensive cars and the most expensive cars. Yep. You know, sometimes an, in, an, an expensive car is fine and an inexpensive car is not. And sometimes it's vice versa. And I will tell you something with my truck. That took me a minimal amount of time to learn it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I still got to figure it out. A million lines of code in your truck. Yeah. One million lines. Almost as much as uh, any other device that we use nowadays, seemingly. But the goal is they get it. And they're working towards and calling designers to bear this in mind and be a more homogenized experience. When we return, uh, now more than ever, it's renewable energy and it's more than a fad. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. Listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. And we're in the last segment for this hour. I'm Ken Chester. Until very recently, renewable energy, primarily solar and wind power, were considered to be at the fringe of the American energy complex until now. The missing piece seemed to be a way to store the energy until it was needed, since very often much more energy could and was generated than the grid could use, only to be lacking when the grid needed more power. The falling cost of battery storage, the ability to repurpose a group of electric car batteries for efficient energy storage, and changing beliefs of the power industry is in the process of changing the power demand and provisioning dynamic. We're going to talk about renewable energy. And what started this um, for this segment, a couple, a couple of things, but I kind of want to jump around is a letter I got from my power company for my business. And in that letter, it said, and I quote, um, our state utility board verified on on June 19th of this year that 50.8% of my annual energy use for my business came from renewable sources last year. Now let that sink in. For those of you that believe that renewable energy is still kind of a fringe thing, in my business, without rate increases, almost 51%, over 50% of the power I used in my business was created from renewable sources. Wow. And uh, the utility who produced it sent letters, and what I did not bring was an actual certificate stating as such. Now, here's something else. They're going to be 100% renewable in three years. I hate to say this, but I'm going to believe that when I see it. They've just restified 50.8%, Jack. And they're building wind farms. Iowa is on the map as one of the top five producers of wind energy in the United States. That's a fact. Well, we're either one or two. It depends upon how many Texas throws up in the year. Texas or California. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, this is happening. Uh, I counter with a question. 
when's the last time you remember our utility building a power plant? Not all that long ago. When? They haven't built a new plant in years. A plant to generate electricity? No. They may have put in substations, but they have not built a power plant in years. And how do I know this? Uh, Second Life, right. uh, where uh, I worked with the utility board, and I know the process because mm-hmm. I did it in the telecommunications business. Right Now, the whole reason you may be wondering, listeners are, okay, Ken, wh- why is this a thing on your program? Well, we followed the fact that this trajectory of falling prices of batteries and battery storage, the fact that used electric batteries from cars. And this is a question Jack actually asked, uh, I think, last year. What happens to them when they're done? When you can't use an electric battery for the cars anymore, what do you do with them? Well, what we're finding out, and we had a story about Mercedes-Benz and Tesla's doing it, is they're repurposing these batteries to be the go-between between the renewable energy generation and providing power on demand for the grid. They would store the power in those times when there's wind and there's sun for days when there isn't or times when the grid needed more energy. Instead of having and paying for a power plant that was available on what they call hot standby, in other words, a plant that's running but not connected to the grid just in case you needed it, you now could use these batteries as a source uh, for when you needed that added power to the grid because it was stored, it was there, it was available. Right. Now, another thing, Facebook is going to be, they're right now uh, anticipating that they're going to cut their greenhouse emissions by 75%, and they expect to be 100% renewable energy by 2020. The reason why that makes a difference, Mm. just so happens north of our city, we have a number of uh, Facebook farm buildings uh, where they've got server farms, Mm -hmm. and they're pulling that power from the same utility I am. So the fact that they also probably got a letter that showed in that case for that facility, they're at 51% for last year. So our utility has a lot to do with helping them to get there. And no doubt our utility will be looking at using uh, old batteries from electric vehicles as a power storage thing as opposed to building a new power plant or substation. So basically, in mobility, our vehicles and electric vehicles in this growing industry is becoming more a part of our infrastructure than even we thought it could. Okay. My question is, where are they going to put these batteries? Now, do we put them at the actual windmills? Do we put them in a building someplace? Chances are you would put them close to where the electricity is produced. Okay. And that seems to be the case. Which is no big deal. So you're looking at you're looking at a building or a facility that probably wouldn't look very much different from a substation. Yeah. You know, you'd fence it off, and it'd be gravel, and you would have rows and rows and rows and rows of this stuff. Okay. This is what's happening right now. We've talked about it. Nissan's done a test yeah. for streetlights. Yeah. Uh, Mercedes Benz converted an old coal-fired electric plant to battery storage, and are adding more. Tesla did it. In Western Australia. That's right. Uh, for yep. power generation, for the first time in 100 years, they had stable on demand power for the first time ever because when it was sunny, they didn't need it. But when it was cloudy, they needed the power. Or when it was windy, 
They didn't need it, but when there was no wind, they needed the power. The battery storage part of that allowed them to store power when they could generate it, use power when they couldn't. But I guess my question is, are we storing these batteries outside or in the building? Wouldn't matter. Because if they're part of a vehicle, they're usually the base of the vehicle. Right, but aren't they normally covered? Not necessarily. They'll be protected. Okay. So I'm not really worried about that. You know, so even if they have to build a building on site, it's a building. Okay. You know, it's not a big deal at this point. But I guess what I'm saying is you look at mobility and you look at power generation. And back in the day, the two never met. But today, we now will benefit in a secondary way from the uh, growing business of electric vehicles by having these batteries as they grow in number, having a second life to help utilities as utilities convert over and use more and more renewable energy. Food for thought. And I guess that's my point. To see more and more of these companies using solar and wind and et cetera and having a way to put it in there. Well, folks, we have just like that come to the end of this hour. Thanks for listening. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.